Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 60 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Greg McLawson about building an agile virtual immigration law practice. Today's podcast is sponsored by Smokeball. Turbocharge your small law firm with case management from Smokeball. Watch a two-minute demo at smokeball.com slash lawyerist today. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Clio. Lawyers, it's time to let your mind do what it was trained to do, practice law. You need Clio, the leading legal practice management software to help you take care of the business side of running your practice. Find out more and sign up for a free trial at Clio.com. If you enjoy our show, please visit Lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast to help us keep new episodes coming every week. So Aaron, we've got uh, some news about one of our previous podcast guests from episode 43. Um, Peter Karianis was a podcast guest back then talking about his law firm, Conduit Law, and uh, it just got announced that the big accounting firm, Deloitte, has sort of merged-ish with Conduit Law to create Deloitte Conduit Law LLP in Canada, um, which is really interesting. It's a, it's a small law firm um, made good. Uh, with an innovative business model, but it's also an example of something that can happen in uh, a legal market that allows non-lawyer ownership. So a big four accounting firm has bought a small law firm. Yeah, and uh, to sort of harken back to that episode, uh, Conduit Law's business model is not so much based on high techiness, um, although technology has a, a role to play in how they are connected, um, but it's more the boring technology of being able to work remotely and stuff like that. Um, what, basically, they supply lawyers for general counsel duties to um, mostly but not exclusively um, big companies that from America, for example, who have a Canadian presence uh, but don't necessarily need to hire a giant Canadian law firm. Um, so they're basically the Canadian branch of the of serving the company's legal needs. And apparently, you know, when we talked to Peter, they were growing fast. Um, they couldn't keep up with their staff on their website. Um, so it was working really well. And, and apparently it got the attention of, yeah, a big four accounting firm, which is pretty neat. And this is allowed, the non-attorney ownership affiliation stuff is allowed because it's Canada. Wouldn't They couldn't have done this here, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think they could have done this here. Um, yet. Not yet. Um, although, as we learned recently, potentially in D.C. Right. Um, although, although maybe not quite this way. So do you see this more as a trend in the innovative law firm model that Peter created or more a trend in the where we're headed with large firms and non-attorney ownership and the market stuff? I think the second one will depend, right? It's hard to know if this is going to be a successful partnership between an accounting firm and a law firm. And and I think on on the first piece, it's it's definitely an example of sort of a a new law business model that that works. Although I think the reason for Conduit Law's success, you got to keep in mind, is really just 
figuring out what the need was and then serving it in a way that made a lot of financial sense, was really convenient for businesses, and provided a great fit for them. Um, it, it and like I said, it wasn't super high tech. They they weren't they weren't using Slack. They communicated with email. I think they used Clio for practice management software. Um, they were it, It's not like they were going out and inventing AI things to build their firm. I don't even think they were using much document assembly. Um, it was just a really smart way of integrating um, of of filling that need. Here here's what these companies need in Canada, in Ontario even, um, and here's here's how we've built their business to meet that need. So it's a, it is, it's a new law, innovative firm, but it, it was really just a really smart business model, I think. I wonder if this is going to plant the seed in solo and small firm lawyers' heads that they should have exit strategies as part of their goal. I mean, if, if you're a Canadian law firm, sure, I think that's an option. I think in the U.S. it's a little bit harder. Um, you know, We've got a bunch of articles on lawyerists, mostly by Roy Ginsburg, about packaging a law firm to sell. Uh, we did a podcast uh, a while back about how to how to transition into selling your law practice with Paul Floyd. Um, but those are mostly about how to transition your practice to someone else to yeah. take it over, not not selling it for a profit. Well, I, yeah, I mean, hopefully there is some profit involved, but it's it's not an exit strategy in the startup sense of the word. But it sounds it, like this is. It sounds like this is an exit strat. This was an exit in the startup sense of exit. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, that's exciting. It is exciting. Um, you know, it's it's an example of one. Uh, it's a. I, I'm guessing it feels a little bit experimental from the the Deloitte side of things. Um, but it, you know, it's it's it is exciting. I, I think it's neat to see, um, and we should learn from it. And um, maybe we will be able to have Peter back on to kind of debrief this. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be reading about it in the, the weeks to come and, and hearing more about it. So pretty cool. And if you are if you want to know more about Peter's firm, uh, go back to episode 43 and, and listen. We dig, dig into how that firm is constructed, what the business model looks like. Uh, and I assume it will continue to look pretty much the same under Deloitte's um, partnership. And now here's my conversation with Greg. My name is Greg McLawson. I'm an attorney and entrepreneur and world vagabond. World vagabond. Tell me about that first. So the goal for the past um, little bit and going forward has been to spend at least two months traveling, uh, primarily in Asia, in one month blocks every year. Hmm. And I've kind of designed the practice to let me do that. Uh, you're sort of on the Tim Ferriss four-hour workweek model of taking lots of mini retirements? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Tim's book was kind of set me down that path. Very cool. So, um, you've got a few different endeavors. Um, you've got Puget Sound Legal, Sound Immigration, um, and then you've got another uh, thing that you're working on. Pick any one of those first and tell me about it. Okay. Well, I guess I'll, I'll start with Puget Sound Legal because that's kind of where I launched into the private practice world. That's your law firm? Yeah, that's the law firm. It's an immigration practice based in Tacoma, Washington, and it's um, it has a decreasing footstep that's now um, pretty much ready to disappear in terms of the morphing from brick and mortar to purely virtual, purely virtual being the sound immigration oh. iteration that you mentioned a little bit ago. 
So are those different businesses then? Well, they're under uh, Sound Immigration is a DBA under Puget Sound Legal. I see. But to the world, they're different. How many lawyers uh, work at Puget Sound Legal? Puget Sound Legal is two of us here in the States plus um, plus our LPO guys in Bangalore. And I actually don't even know how many of them there are. How, and what do they, so what do they do? Because outsourcing is, I'm super interested in outsourcing um, and I've done a little bit of it myself. Um, my guess is you're doing it differently than I did. And so I'd love to hear kind of what are you, what is the, the actual work you're outsourcing and how does that get managed? So basically our LPO guys do what a traditional paralegal would do in a brick and mortar practice. We do primarily family-based immigration. So this is, let's say a, a U.S.-based spouse wanting to bring a wife over from, um, from Britain. And our LPO guys put together pretty much all of the packet, um, working off of questionnaires that are provided by the client. So they do all of the legal forms, put together the supporting document packet, and then that magically appears in the morning for us to review when we come into work. Do you run into language problems with the work product? And I'm asking primarily because I've worked with an attorney before who was getting research memos done out of India and um, they just they just weren't very good because because writing a research doing research and writing a research memo is so language heavy. Maybe this work is different. But that that was my experience and so I'm kinda of wondering, has that has that been an issue or no? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, you know, so just by way of background, I've spent a, about a year or so in, in traveling in India and certainly colloquial English in, in uh, India is a different language. It's, you know, it's very formal, has lots of um, phrases that, that our clients are going to pick out as odd. So our LPO guys don't have any direct client contact mm-hmm. with, with the sole exception that they process our mail that's scanned at a, a mail processing facility every day and they send out notifications to the clients, but that's all following a script that we've given them mm. specifically because of the concern that you point out. It, but it doesn't come into play when it comes to filling out those forms and, and generating that stuff. No, because none of there's no writing that's really left up to them. It's just, it's literally filling in forms based on client questionnaire information. So I see you're using earth class mail too, because you're trying to, I assume, be able to work from wherever and not worry about where your mail's arriving. So I've been super curious about earth class mail for a long time, but I've found it impossible to get my head around how I could actually make that work for a law practice. What, what, how, tell, tell me how it works for you and what, what problems have you run into and how have you solved them? Yeah, well, I just... First of all, so what's the um, pain point that you see with them or that you were anticipating? I, I need originals of things, right? Ah, like I'm, okay. I'm very often sending out affidavits for signature or um, pleading pages for signature pages, discovery, um, you know, or I'm getting in checks. And I, so like there, there are actual documents that I need. And that is about 90% of the mail I actually do because why would I use mail for anything else that, that is, I don't need an original of. Gotcha. And so for me, it always seemed like that, that kind of defeats the purpose, but, but I don't know. So I'm curious um, how it works for you. Yeah. And so first of all, of course, we're a completely cloud-based and paperless practice to the extent we can. I assume that pretty much goes without saying for any of your guests. Mm -hmm. So most of our incoming mail is going to be, receipt notifications from the immigration agencies and 
other formal agency correspondences. The only paper that we send that we use the mail for is outbound with our client's signatures on petitions. So with very, very rare exception, the incoming stuff doesn't um, need to be in original. So how do you get your client's signatures on the petitions? They can either, so that would be a rare exception where we would give them our physical office address. Oh, I see. As, you as just, the mailing address. So you just bypass earth class mail. Right. In those limited situations. And our, our main office is a, a Regis facility. So we've got guys there. Cool. To handle that. So, um, John Grant, who uh, is one of our newer writers on Lawyers, is going to be super excited to see that you have Im- implemented agile principles and that you use a Kanban board um, and all that business. So, Well, he won't be surprised, though, because <laughs> I was one of uh, John's first experiments, actually. Got, oh, very cool. Just well, when he was know. getting into this. Um, good to know. So, how do you like? How do you actually do that day to day? I mean, I, I've talked to John a lot. I, I totally understand his advice for implementing it. But, like, what are the pieces of agile that you find most useful? Yeah. So for any of your listeners who haven't heard of John Grant or about Agile, they should definitely look up his writings. He's done. He's, he's written an introduction to Agile on Lawyerist, which would yeah. be a great place to start. So to use the, the Kanban board as the primo example, Kanban is basically a way of visualizing workflow. John always recommends, I think it's a good idea, starting with something as simple as um, sticky notes on a wall which is how we started. So we took all of our cases that were in the work process funnel. We broke down all of our cases into whether they were waiting on something for the client, whether the client was waiting on us for something, whether they were waiting on a third party, like a police report back from an agency, or whether they were filed and off our plate. And it was transformational to actually just be able to glance in one place and see, okay, where is everything in the workflow? And we quickly realized when we did this that our clients were what's called the bottleneck. So what was really keeping cases from moving to the filing stage wasn't us. It was waiting for things from our clients. Hmm. And uh, you said that you're, um, it sounds like you're connecting these to Clio in some way um, using Zapier or Zapier, I assume? Yeah, so after we got done, after we experimented with this just physically up on a wall, we started using a free online tool called Trello, which is an online Kanban board. And we have that linked to our Clio account, Clio being our main practice management tool, using Zapier, Zapier, nobody seems to know how to pronounce it, I sure don't. And basically, anytime we have an activity on our Trello board, so if we move the lane that it's in from waiting on attorney to waiting on client, that gets um, carried over as a note into our Clio files, basically just for auditing purposes. I actually can't think of a single time we'd gone back and looked at those notes. But if I, we wanted I, to, I ask primarily because um, Zapier and, uh, and If This Then That are like these super cool, amazing tools that nobody knows what to do with. <laughs> yeah, and, and man, Zaps are just... They are like a force multiplier for people who dink around with a lot of online tools. They're amazing. Do you have any other zaps that you just swear by? Because people are always looking for ideas. People are like, you know, they want lists of zaps because they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So when we um, open up a Clio file, it automatically populates our Kanban board with a card. 
we've, we use online scheduling for attorney appointments and I've created zaps to create the Clio file from those initiated appointments. And I just can't troubleshoot what's going on. So once that's up and running reliably, that'll be awesome. Oh, cause you've got an online intake system and you want to feed it right into Clio. Right. right. Gotcha. Um, so you said that your goal is to reduce your foot, your physical footprint of the firm to, to nothing and have it be totally virtual. What are, what are the last things in the way? Well, experimentation to figure out if it's something that clients are going to want to work with. You know, it's been, what, a decade that attorneys have been talking the talk about virtual law firms, but we actually don't see all that many examples of people who are really able to execute on it. Mm-hmm. With Puget Sound Legal, really, once we meet with the client, have an initial consultation, we typically don't see them again um, You know, until they want to take us out for lunch a year down the line. So you're not currently having a lot of client meetings in the office. No. And so we see that situation and say, well, let's build on this. And that's what the sound immigration project is. Let's, let's build on this. And since in our experience, it seems to be the case that our clients are willing to work collaboratively in a purely online setting, let's just do away with that original, with that initial in-office appointment and just go purely online. Well, let's take two minutes from our sponsors and then let's talk more about sound immigration. Wish there was a case management system built just for your area of law? Smokeball comes with over 200 different matter types to support the way you work. Turn case details into documents with automated templates, convert and email PDFs with just a click, and stay on top of every detail and task with workflow tools. Check out Smokeball for your small law firm and never miss a detail again. Watch a two-minute demo at smokeball.com slash lawyerist today. Today, we journey to the center of a lawyer's mind. This is Jeff. I'm stepping into his brain now. Jeff's brain is working on the case of a lifetime. Unfortunately, it's distracted with scheduling issues, documents, and timesheets. We need to act fast. I'm giving Jeff Clio, the cloud-based system that manages a lawyer's day-to-day operations. Clio handles your cases, billing, appointments, accounting. Everything you need to run your practice. There. That's better. With Clio, Jeff's brain can focus on what Jeff does best. Get the law practice manager more lawyers trust. Sign up for a free trial at clio.com slash lawyer or call 844-500-CLIO. That's 844-500-CLIO. Okay, so Greg, tell me about sound immigration. Why, why the separate branding and, and what's the transition plan? So the separate branding was primarily because we're launching this as an experiment. Uh, we were talking a bit about Agile a while ago. And a, a similar um, kind of set of principles to Agile is the lean startup from the book that Eric Reese wrote a few years ago. And the emphasis there is when you start a new project, whether it's a law firm or you're launching an app, um, the real premium and the focus of your effort ought to be, on his view, on learning. So with sound immigration, we're trying to test the hypothesis that clients are willing to work with us in a purely online space. 
And, you know, we've got our own anecdotal thoughts about that from our few years of Puget Sound Legal, but we want to actually get out there in the real world and test it and see, given the option, will clients work with us when we're holding ourselves out as being nothing but an online law firm. Gotcha. And then if it fails, you haven't done any damage to the to the main firm. Right. That, you know, though I'm not really, I wouldn't be super worried about that. It, it's more a matter of that, of achieving those learning milestones, right. of figuring out in a, you know, in, encapsulated experimental space, what we can figure out. Um, it my, my impression is that overall, this whole thing is going well for you. Um, one of the things that I always try to get a sense of when people are talking about doing things in their innovative way is, are they actually making money doing this? Like, and, and I, I don't know how to ask that. Um, I, I mean, I, I want numbers if people will give me numbers, right? Because, you know, what I'm really trying to get is, are you struggling along in that forty to $65,000 before taxes hump that 55 or whatever percent of lawyers are in? Yeah. Or are you off to the right of that curve? Because, you know, it's it's not success if you're just bringing home a McDonald's manager's wages. It's success if um, you're closer to six figures and beyond, in my mind. Sam, I couldn't agree with you more because we see all of these folks who want to, you know, write blogs about creative new stuff and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But, but it, is it actually working for them and are they actually right. making money? Um, so, yeah, just to be um, completely transparent with your listeners about where we are, um, the Sound Immigration Project that's launched for three month, or two months so far, it hasn't made anything yet. Okay. And, and we can't figure out where the problem is because the attorneys that are involved in that project are the same ones who are either involved in, in my other firm or they have their own successful firms. So competent attorneys, we have, uh, for us, you know, a good amount of website traffic. We have about 200 unique visitors a day. Wow. Um, and that's all organic, but nobody's setting up consults and we can't figure out why that is because meanwhile, back in the old firm, you know, it's churning along folks are setting up consults each day. It's the same people in this other, um, well, and your old firm has a fair amount of virtual elements to it, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and that firm seems to be doing well. Yeah. Is that, is that a successful firm given the experimental pieces of it? Yeah. And so, you know, one, one conclusion that we may end up endorsing um, and the data is still kind of still out on that is that yes, clients are willing to work with a firm through online tools, but, and the big but is they also want you to be a, a real firm with a capital R meaning brick right. and mortar someplace. And if that ends up being the case, oh, that's fine because um, we can be that. Well, you know, a few, uh, a few weeks ago, I talked to Billy Tarasio who um, built herself a document, a DIY document assembly portal uh, for her family law practice down in Florida. And um, she considers that to have been somewhat of a flop as well. Um, but it got a lot of traffic. It got a lot of um, people visiting and uh, looking at it um, and then clicking over to her other firm and hiring them. And so, you know, part of me wonders if um, this is one of those things where like, you know, you're supposed to give people three options because everybody chooses the middle one. Um, maybe sounding immigration is the bottom option 
and your traditional firm is the middle one and and maybe there's a higher end option that you can even put out there um i don't know that's interesting though i it's interesting to see that it's um when you try to put it all together and make it all high tech maybe people don't maybe that makes people nervous but if you give them all of the same features and you just don't call it a, a web only firm then they don't mind yeah and it's so tricky to pick apart which of those variables it is. So is that your theory, your operating theory is that they want you to have brick and mortar, but they don't actually care if they ever see you? Yeah, as of basically as of last week, that's the next theory that, that we're trying to test. So we're going we're going to add our sound immigration attorney profiles onto the website of the old firm. You know, so that they're basically mirror images of each other, except that one has the variable of having the brick and mortar location. Oh, interesting. And, and I mean, is Puget Sound Legal a successful firm? Yeah, I'd like to think so. And, and you know, most importantly for me, it supports the lifestyle that I wanted. Um, last October, we were in India all month. We were in Hawaii in February. We're going to Laos in October and. Yeah, that's for me, that's the goal and we're able to do it. Very cool. So October and February are your travel months? Yeah, they tend to be. We're out here in the Pacific Northwest, so there's nothing lost being gone in February. Right. <laughs> and summer's climbing season, you don't want to be gone for that. So tell me about this last piece. Um, it sounds like you're doing some um, support work. I'm not sure. Tell me tell me about it. I because yeah. I don't know enough about immigration to um, to really zoom in on what that is. So this is a really unusual practice area that kind of like sound immigration where we launched it as basically an experiment to see if we could make a sustainable sub practice area out of it. Just by very quick background, whenever one family member sponsors another family member to come to the U.S. through a visa process, the U.S. based family member guarantees to provide financial support to the foreign national. Mm hmm. It's a document called the I-864 Affidavit of Support, and it's a contract between the U.S. spouse and the federal government of which the foreign national is a third-party beneficiary. And that foreign national, if he or she doesn't get the support that she's entitled to, can walk into state and federal court and enforce her rights. Hmm. We do plaintiff side work in these cases. Um, fortunately, the contract has an attorney fee provision. And we sue the U.S. sponsors who have um, not been providing financial support. Typically, it's in a, a domestic abuse situation, unfortunately. Interesting. So, um, so is this a separate business then? Well, we, we have a separate website, the i864.net. They're all handled through the umbrella of Puget Sound Legal. And, gotcha. um, you know, that we did this separate website mostly as a, as a traffic building mm -hmm. measure. We we figured out very early on that we could get basically as many clients as we wanted in these cases. And now we're just trying to ensure that we can consistently get them resolved in yeah. a favorable way. So we've settled some of them. We have just got a summary judgment um, one on another. And we just want to make sure that we can get consistent victories on them before we really open the floodgates. So that's still in the sort of the proving the concept phase. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like concept one is proved. Yeah, we know we can get the clients now and we know we can win the cases. It's just can we win them fast enough and efficiently enough 
to make this sustainable. You take a really deliberate approach to developing new business, which is interesting. Um, I don't see that a lot. Um, what I typically see is lawyers dip their toe in or try something once and they don't get the results they want and they call it a failure. Um, where does that come from? I mean, how, how, how did you build or decide on that approach to doing it? Is that the agile system or does that come from something else? Yeah. To, so to plug him for like the third time on the show so far, um, yeah, I got to credit John Grant. And, and also for any anyone who hasn't opened a practice yet and is thinking about doing it, um, the Lean Startup Book is a great resource to think about kind of evidence-based approach to starting new ventures. And I had the benefit of neither when I opened the first right. firm. And gosh, sure, sure wish I had. I'm a really big fan of the Agile Retrospective. Um, and in fact, we've incorporated it at Lawyerist into the way that we do um, our reviews. And that's that's a three-step uh, question set of questions. It's um, what 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 did we do that that worked and that we should keep doing? What did we do that didn't work and that we should stop doing? And what should we try next? And nobody ever stops and asks those questions. And like we do it for our employee reviews where we, you know, we sort of walk through your list of duties and the jobs that you're responsible for. And for each one of those things for the last six months or a year or whatever, what, you know, what should we, what's been working and what should we keep doing and, and what didn't work and what should we stop and what should we try new? And, and it, it gives ownership and it also um, prevents us from wasting time. And it, I think it applied to a law firm. It's super important um, and I never did it in that structure while I was doing my 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 own firm, but um, but I wish I had because what a useful way to look at it. And it sounds like you're doing that sort of thing constantly, whether with that structure or not, where you're sort of, you know, you're doing it for a week or two weeks or a month, and then you're stopping and looking back and trying to measure the results and evaluate and see how it did. Yeah, one of the other um, agile rituals. And Agile is kind of built around a series of rituals. Is the um, Scrum ritual, is this something you guys do? As well? uh, we don't really know. Okay. Um, so it's basically the idea of um, pulling your team together very, very briefly every day to identify, I guess the big picture idea is to identify blocking problems that you could be helping each other with. And my associate in, in the old firm and I, experimented with this probably six months or so and we're real diligent about sitting down every morning and having that communication for us a large part of our work is so routine that it didn't really end up delivering a benefit i didn't think but certainly in in a larger litigation practice i could see how it'd be really helpful you know i, I totally was i was brain farting on the the terminology, but, um, at lawyers, we actually do that. We use Slack for our communications cause we're spread out all over the country. Um, and we have a standups channel, um, just to do our daily standups every cool. day. And, That's um, a great idea. it is because, um, you know, we have edit and ads and two of it, we basically have two people working in edit and two people working on ads. Um, and there's a little bit of interaction, but I would have no idea what the ads team is doing on a day to day basis without that stand-up and it really helps me be just just kind of having a, a surface awareness of what's going on over there um and and the same goes for aaron and katie who need to know what holden and i are doing just a little bit just to kind of have an awareness so that everybody kind of keeps their head around what the company's doing but then um as between me and holden in edit um it really keeps us accountable to each other and keeps things moving forward and, you know, sometimes my name pops up as the blocker and I'm like, whoa, what, what am I doing? What do you need from me? 
you know, and it's really, that's a really helpful thing for us to be able to say, hey, I've seen that pop up in your blockers for a few days. What's going on and how can I help you remove the block? So. Can we riff on that for a minute to uh, talk about what a scourge email is? <laughs> I, I don't agree. I, I am shocked. Seriously? I'm not an anti-email person. And, oh, God, and part so. of that is I'm really good at email. Um, my inbox is always empty. Um, and I just don't have that much to process. And, um, and that's been true for years. Uh, emails never bothered me. I like it fine. God, Sam, I am, I am so appalled. Well, and in fact, I like it better than Slack because there's no way to mark something as a task in Slack. Whereas with email, um, I just give it a flag or a star and now it's a task and it represents something that's on my to-do list. And so I actually think um, from a productivity standpoint, email is far superior to Slack. Slack is much better for having conversations, but it's atrocious for as a way of trying to figure out what you need to be doing um, well, and sure. managing projects. So I love it for conversations. It, I mean, you know, plowing into Slack is a great way for us to get things done that we can't do in person, um, but email would be horrible as a communication tool for that. Well, Slack isn't a to-do list. That's what uh, something like Trello is for. No, that's true. Um, uh, but I but I like using my email for one of my to do lists. Um, so I'm so I'm not on the I'm not on the anti email bandwagon. Oh man, uh, there's my colleagues on the uh, small practice section leadership here at the Washington Bar are going to dance all over that comment. <laughs> so I, I outlawed email from our bar leadership um, team. Um, we because so much of our communication, as is often the case in lawyer groups was in the form of a discussion. So a topic would be raised and there'd be a succession of comments. Well, on discussions that. are totally inappropriate for email. And that's okay. So we're on board with that. And that's what Slack's for. Part of, part of why I don't, I don't dislike email is that I'm good at email. Um, Aaron and I were joking about that just the other day. Like we are actually really good at email. And one of the things we're good at is we don't do things over email that don't belong in email. Yeah, the problem is controlling, you know, the uh, the other side. Well, I'm kind of a dick about things like that, so I just, <laughs> <laughs> I, just I just control it. Fair enough. Yeah, for a while, I um, I guess to return to the Tim Ferriss thing, I put in an autoresponder, basically laying down the law to anybody who sent me an email about how and when I would respond to them, and that was, shall we say, extremely extremely unpopular. Yeah, I bet. But I bet it worked. Yeah, it, it cut down on traffic. <laughs> I, my, uh, my most recent email pet peeve though, uh, and I, I posted about this briefly is lawyers who use, um, I think there's a couple of them, there's spam arrest and spam something and spam something else. Um, and that's where you send them an email and it kicks you back something that requires you to prove that you're a human being so that it will actually make it into their inbox, which, mm. you know, most initial client inquiries come in the form of email. And that's got to be one of the worst possible experiences that you can deliver to somebody who's trying to hire you. Agreed. Um, so, I don't know, we, we could do a whole show on um, the positives and negatives of email. But, um, but, but could we yeah. just, before we move on, could we agree that it is not for conversations? Period? Email is absolutely not for conversations. Okay. Do that in Slack, over the phone, Skype, Hangouts, whatever. Don't do it in email. Okay, I'm back in the fan club then. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anything you want to close with? Uh, any advice for people who want to get going um, and replicating some of your successes or um, or since Agile has been such a big part of it, anybody who wants to dip their toes in the water and get going on Agile? Well, I think for, for to answer both, um, Agile for me was the most helpful single tool, both for 
wrapping my arms around um, the practice of my own practice and also for thinking about innovation projects because together with the lean startup principles, it gives you a way to focus on learning whether your business is going to be a success early rather than just floundering around. So probably the um, John's post on lawyers would be a great place to start. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Um, uh, go and look up the Agile Manifesto if you want to get an idea of what it's about. Um, there's going to be a lot of stuff in there about software development because that's where it started. Um, but almost all of it is is just one-to-one adaptable to a law practice. Um, and if you want to start practicing Agile with doing nothing else, um, put up a Kanban board. And uh, John's got an example of that in his post on Lawyerist. Greg, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I know you've had a cold, but you've uh, soldiered through quite well. Um, and you're only reflecting my own uh, r- gravelly voice today from my own illness. But um, thanks so much. And um, I really want to check in and find out whether or not you can make sound immigration work. So um, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Talk to you later, Sam. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 